Major funding for NJ Spotlight News is provided in part by NJM Insurance Group, serving the insurance needs of residents and businesses for more than 100 years, and by the PSCG Foundation. Tonight on NJ Spotlight News, Andy Kim clinches more Democratic endorsements, dealing a decisive blow to Tammy Murphy's campaign as both look to unseat embattled U.S. Senator Bob Menendez. Right, right now, I think it's pretty clear that the momentum is on Congressman Andy Kim's side. Also, lawmakers are eyeing statewide guidelines targeting book bans as a new poll finds book censorship is a top concern among state residents. People understand that it is un-American uh, to limit uh, access to books, to limit speech, to limit ideas. So I'm not at all surprised by this poll. Plus, the township of Nutley revives a neighborhood watch program in an effort to combat an increase in crime. We're partnering with our neighbors, our residents here, because the more eyes that we have on the street when you see something, say something. And Governor Murphy prepares for his annual budget address, but it comes at a time when the state faces declining tax revenue and rising costs. The governor has already indicated that one of the areas where we should expect to see spending increased is on public school aid for, for K through 12 districts. NJ Spotlight News begins right now. From NJPBS Studios, this is NJ Spotlight News with Brianna Venozzi. Good evening and thanks for joining us this Monday night. I'm Brianna Venozzi. U.S. Senate candidate and current Congressman Andy Kim is fighting to take down the so-called party line, even as he racks up endorsements from it. Kim filed a federal lawsuit today over New Jersey's ballot design that groups candidates in a column known as the county line rather than by the office for which they're running. The congressman wants a judge to strike down the line in time for the June 2024 primary, pushing back against the very establishment that just this weekend threw their support to him. This weekend, Kim picked up two more of the coveted county Democratic Party endorsements in Hunterdon and Burlington counties. He already got Monmouth County Democrats' blessing at their recent convention. That makes three to rival First Lady Tammy Murphy's one county line, although she's got a slew of endorsements from powerful party leaders in areas with high populations of Democratic voters. Kim's landslide weekend is just the latest blow to Murphy in the battle to take the Senate seat. Senior political correspondent David Cruz reports. As bad campaign weeks go, First Lady Tammy Murphy's past week was right up there. In the course of less than seven days, the Senate candidate saw her campaign manager exit, saw Andy Kim win the endorsement of the National Organization for Women PAC, and, oh yeah, lose three secret ballot conventions. I think there are very ominous signs for her. Analyst Michael Rasmussen states the theme for a campaign that is reeling from its own missteps, but perhaps more so from the times themselves, with so much attention paid to how party bosses control candidate selection via the party line, and a sense that two Murphys in statewide office is at least one too many, the First Lady's less than convincing public appearances have made it seem like it's getting late early. Anytime there's a vote of Democrats, and it's a real vote among Democrats, she can't crack 
now. This is the third county. And so um, it's it's a very ominous sign. And, you know, I, I don't know that it's soul searching time yet, but I, I certainly think that she's got to be thinking this isn't going the way that I thought it was going to go. But the losses in Burlington, Hunterton and Monmouth were not entirely unexpected. Kim represents Burlington and Monmouth in Congress and former Congressman Tom Malinowski, a prominent Kim supporter, hails from Hunterton. Also, those counties make up less than 6% of Democratic voters. A week from today, Democrats in Bergen County, with the state's largest collection of Democrats, will convene for a secret ballot vote. Political's Daniel Hahn has been covering the conventions closely. The First Lady still enjoys institutional support from a lot of uh, party leaders in, t in counties where the endorsement process is much more top-down. Um, and that alone, if it if it still holds together, that could be enough to still have her be the Democratic nominee come June. If Kim were to win Bergen, that would throw the First Lady's campaign strategy into uh, disarray because then uh, Kim would have would be favored to have uh, organizational party lines in uh, in much of the state, perhaps even being equal to the to the advantage that the First Lady would have. But Dan Bryan, a veteran of the other Murphy's two gubernatorial races and the chief strategist for this Murphy's campaign, says they're right where they expect it to be. Listen, if you look at where Tammy Murphy is putting together her coalition of support, it is largely voters of color and women, um, which, by the way, tends to be the coalition that wins Democratic primaries. Um, and we're really excited about the counties that we have coming up, not only Bergen County this week, but Union County, uh, still many more counties to go, including Hudson, Essex, Middlesex, et cetera, Somerset, uh, Mercer. So uh, a lot more of the game to be played. Um, and we are we are playing our game. I think our path to victory is exactly the same uh, that it is today as it was the day we launched. There is still plenty of time to redirect momentum and change the narrative of this campaign. But the way things have been going so far, Bergen County is shaping up to be a must-win for Murphy. And for that matter, for Andy Kim as well. I'm David Cruz, NJ Spotlight News. Well, it turns out the politics of book banning isn't very popular among New Jersey residents. At least that's what a new Rutgers Eagleton poll finds. The survey of adults released today shows the majority are more concerned about efforts to ban books and censor certain topics than the possibility of inappropriate or controversial content that may be found in them. A senior correspondent, Brenda Flanagan, reports the poll comes a week after lawmakers postponed a hearing on a new bill that would set guidelines guidelines around when and how books can be removed from libraries. Emotions can drive debates over banning books in school libraries, drawing big crowds and strong objections to sex and gender-oriented volumes. But while raucous board meetings grab headlines, surveys reveal a different reality, says Rutgers Eagleton poll director Ashley Koenig. We hear the, the loud and strong voices, but they don't necessarily represent a majority. The poll of New Jersey residents found 58% felt more concerned that some schools may ban books and censor topics that are educationally important, while 35% felt more worried that schools may teach books and topics viewed as inappropriate or offensive to parents and students. 8% are unsure. What we see over half of almost every single demographic say that they're more concerned about books being banned uh, rather than about inappropriate content in books. 
people understand that it is un-American uh, to limit uh, access to books, to limit speech, to limit ideas. So I'm not at all surprised by this poll and I'm delighted to, uh, to see it. Martha Hickson's a librarian who's drawn harsh criticism, even threats, for refusing to pull several controversial books off the shelves at North Hunterdon Voorhees High School. She confirmed a school parent in her district on February 13th formally challenged the teen book Let's Talk About It, which explores sex and gender. The board's now assembling a committee to review the controversial book. Nobody has to read that book in the library. And if a parent is truly concerned about their child accessing it, the best way to handle that is to have a conversation with the librarian or the administrator and request that their child's access be restricted, not every child's access. A bill pending in New Jersey Senate Education Committee called the Freedom to Read Act would provide uniform guidelines to evaluate book challenges, limit such challenges to folks with vested interests, students, parents, or teachers in a district, and protect schools school librarians from civil and criminal lawsuits. New Jersey school librarians agree. And they will continue to do their due diligence in selecting books, but there is a fear out there because of the, um, the loudness of some of the voices in the areas where um, books are being challenged. Today, we have librarians putting books on the shelves that have graphic sexual content. Republican Assemblyman Eric Peterson's got two kids in North Hunterdon and Voorhees schools. He says folks answering polls don't realize what these books show. He thinks they're so vulgar, school librarians putting these books on the shelf are breaking obscenity laws. And that's that's what this bill is trying to do is it's it's saying the librarian's going to decide what's in the library, not the elected officials, not the people that got elected but the librarian's gonna decide there's no boundaries because they're immune from criminal prosecution. So I, I, I think that's just awful. As for librarians restricting a student's access by parental request. How do you know that the librarian is following your, your, uh, your request that the content not be given to your child? Bill scheduled for committee debate in Trenton, March 14th. I'm Brenda Flanagan, NJ Spotlight News. New Jersey was just one of many locations nationwide this weekend holding vigils honoring 16-year-old Nex Benedict. The Oklahoma teenager who identified as non-binary died in early February, one day after being attacked in their high school bathroom as the apparent target of bullying. Benedict's death is sparking calls against anti-LGBTQ legislation and rhetoric like book bans. As allies remind the public, this traumatic incident hits close to home for far too many here in the state. Melissa Rose Cooper reports. There has to be a point where we stand up and say enough, enough with the bullying. These kids deserve a chance to live their authentic truths. Members and advocates of the LGBTQ plus community gathered inside Universalist Unitarian Congregation at Montclair over the weekend to remember the life of Nex Benedict. The 16-year-old non-binary student from Oklahoma died earlier this month, a day after their family says fellow students beat them in their high school bathroom. I'm a non-binary adult which is what next would have looked like had they survived until age 42. I never thought I would make it to age 42, 
I didn't think I would make it past the age of 23. I didn't think I would make it past the age of 33. But here I am looking in December at age 43. So I wanted to do nothing else but to give the people in this room an opportunity to look at what a thriving, joyful, proud, non-binary, trans-masculine adult can look like because I want you to talk about us in front of your children. Because if kids do not see an option for themselves as a grown-up, what do they do with that? They either suppress who they are or they do not survive. Although police say preliminary information from an autopsy report shows Nexus' death wasn't a result of trauma, members of the LGBTQ community say their treatment in school is a prime example of the challenges transgender and non-binary children face. New Jersey is not innocuous to what's happening across the country. And directly what we're seeing with hate speech and bias and rhetoric and bullying um, that happened to next in Oklahoma and other students that are facing Oklahoma and other states, we're also seeing high impacts of bullying impacting students in here in New Jersey. Shannon Cuddle is the chairperson of the New Jersey Anti-Bullying Task Force. Cuddle says the organization's most recent report found hate and bias speech quadrupled in the state with over 10,000 harassment, intimidation and bullying incidents reported. The largest number since New Jersey's anti-bullying bill went into effect. And climate and culture of our schools are directly linked to how students feel safe and supported emotionally, physically, and academically. And we have seen, as our report highlights, that since 2016, our last, the last time the Anti-Bullying Task Force issued a report, that there's a direct link to what's happening on the national level. And what we're seeing within classrooms, hallways, are linked to what's happening either on state legislatures that are coming from our leaders with hate speech and rhetoric that are targeting our most vulnerable and marginalized populations. We know that representation matters, right? And I said inside at the vigil, you know, to every person who is um, advocating for repealing policies that protect trans folks, you know, for all the folks who are attempting to um, ban trans and non-binary folks from bathrooms and all the hateful rhetoric that is out there, this, this, is, this is the consequence of all of that. Advocates are calling on legislators to do more when it comes to protecting members of the LGBTQ plus community so children like Next can live long lives without fear. For NJ Spotlight News, I'm Melissa Rose Cooper. In Essex County, a debate over bail reform is leading to intense talks about how to combat crime, with an increasing number of vocal critics linking the social justice movement to an uptick in illegal activity like car thefts. That's despite public safety data showing crime rates are down since the reform took effect. As senior correspondent Joanna Gagas reports, in one town, the issue led local leaders to bring back a decades-old neighborhood watch program. Bail reform needs to be reformed in New Jersey. There are increasing calls in New Jersey for reform on how and when offenders are released on bail. Bail reform was enacted during the Christie administration to stop the detention of people awaiting trial simply because they didn't have the money for bail. I absolutely agree that bail reform was needed. No one should sit in jail just because they're indigent and they're likely to come back and, and face a trial. But the cases that we're trying to look to change are the ones that involve threats to the public who just don't meet certain standards of violence 
violent crimes, but they're doing a ton of property crimes and ultimately get out again. Judges use data through the public safety assessment tool to determine if a person poses a threat if released. Fairfield Police Chief Anthony Manna wants that to include property crime because car thefts have been on the rise despite laws passed last year strengthening penalties on car thieves. East Orange Mayor Ted Green says urban mayors are most concerned about guns. We saw an influx of the guns in our communities and we saw that uh, our police officers had to tackle, um, you know, this bail reform where a, a person would get arrest on a Monday and with all their hard work then on a Friday, that person is back out on the street, which causes us to believe is that that law has to be a little stronger. Bail reform has been championed by Chief Justice Stuart Rabner, who recently convened a committee of 25 bipartisan people to assess its success. The ACLU of New Jersey's Alex Shalom is one of them, and he disagrees with the mayors. They're wrong, um, and the data simply don't support it. We rank 50th in violent crime. We are the safest state in America for violent crime. Violent crime and crime in general have dropped in New Jersey since bail reform has been in place. The administrative office of the courts shares data about those released on bail. The latest report shows a little more than 1,100 people released after being issued a warrant in the first six months of 2021. 990 of them were not rearrested during that time period, meaning about 10% were. Bail reform, with all due respect to whoever has been saying that, uh, in New Jersey is viewed as the national model, period. Uh, are there laws that we could have on the books that would address home invasions, car thefts, which we've already worked with the legislature on, um, open-minded clearly, but bail reform has been a huge success in New Jersey. That doesn't mean that neighborhoods aren't allowed to feel unsafe or worry about auto theft. All of those things are fair and legitimate, but to associate it with bail reform is, is not borne out by the data. It's gotten so frustrating for people here in Nutley that the town has launched a neighborhood watch program where residents will be out patrolling the streets looking for suspicious activity. We're partnering with our neighbors, our residents here, because the more eyes that we have on the street when you see something, say something. Streets will have captains, but Nutley Public Safety Director Alphonse Petraco says residents have been warned not to engage with anyone they think looks suspicious. A lot of my friends from Nutley, they're cowboys and somebody breaks into my house, they're getting shot. You know, unfortunately, you'll be shooting a kid because most of them are 15, 16 years old. And I know nobody wants to live with that the rest of their lives. And they'll wind up being the ones in jail. So we keep preaching that message. They're, you're not a cop. You're not armed usually. Please just call the police. The concern with neighborhood watches is that you have untrained folks who can't identify the difference between someone borrowing a friend's car and someone stealing a car and wind up trying to play police officer when we have trained people who should be doing that. Shalom doesn't want to see New Jersey repeat situations like the shootings of Trayvon Martin or Ahmad Arbery, an innocent black boy and young black man who were murdered by white men patrolling their neighborhoods. In Nutley, I'm Joanna Gagas, NJ Spotlight News.
In our Spotlight on Business report, Governor Murphy will deliver his annual budget address before lawmakers in Trenton tomorrow, and he's got a tall order ahead. After last year enacting the largest budget in state history, Murphy and legislators will have to figure out a way to sustain that spending while the state battles high inflation, high interest rates, and lagging tax collections. There are dueling proposals on whether the administration should rein in the budget or reinstate a tax on corporate businesses. Our budget and finance writer John Reitmeyer is with me now for more on What to Watch. John Reitmeyer, good to see you ahead of what will be a busy day tomorrow. What do we expect the governor to list in his speech as the big ticket items this year? Yeah, I mean, the full details for sure have yet to be released, but the governor has begun to talk already about this new spending plan that he's going to put forward. One of the big priorities he's already talked about is school funding. And so for the last several years, New Jersey has been on a school public school funding ramp up. So that's K through 12 aid that goes right into the classrooms. So we're getting to the top of that ramp up. And the governor has already indicated that one of the areas where we should expect to see spending increased is on public school aid for, for K through 12 districts. We've also heard his administration officials talk at a, at a recent meeting of the, the basically the board that oversees the, pay, the state pension system and pension investments talk about another full year of, of pension contributions. So when you put those two together, you know, that's 10, 11 billion on the school funding side and another six, seven billion on the pension funding side. So we're already sketching out some major components of this budget even before we see the full details tomorrow. And then there's debt service, things that have to be paid. These are bills that come due that the state basically has to, to pay. That's another several billion dollars. So while we don't have the full 50 plus billion uh, in spending down to the line item, we know some of the broad sketches already heading in. But we've had a couple of years, John, where the state has been somewhat uh, flush with cash. Do we expect that trajectory to continue or is this gonna be a tighter budget? I think that's one of the big questions heading in is exactly where the Murphy administration foresees things going when it comes to revenue collections. And so you're right, the last several years, New Jersey's been collecting or seeing year over year growth in tax collections. As we head into this budget message, the latest tax collection data indicates that the state has been behind the pace that was set this time last year. How much are you keeping an ear out for items around transportation? We've got the Transportation Trust Fund this year that needs to be renewed, and New Jersey Transit already announced that for the you know first time in nine years, there will be fare hikes. So should we be keeping an eye on that? I think two big themes headed in are education, which we've already discussed, and transportation which is it's not necessarily in the four corners of the budget. So NJ Transit has a standalone budget, but the state every year subsidized NJ Transit and provides a subsidy out of the state budget that helps NJ Transit balance its own operating budget. So that will be something important to watch. Do lawmakers seek to intervene in these fair hikes or even soften them in any way? And then also transportation trust fund. It's technically a different fund, not exactly part of the state budget, but the deadline for renewal of the Transportation Trust Fund is June 30th, the same deadline for a new budget. So we expect all of this to get talked about sort of together as we go over the next few months. And that Transportation Trust Fund pays for road, bridge, 
and rail infrastructure improvements throughout the state of New Jersey. Which, of course, the fact that uh, some of the state coffers have gone to subsidize those in uh, many past years has been a gripe uh, by many organizations in the state for quite a while. We will be talking about all that and more. Uh, John Reitmeyer, thanks so much. You're welcome. A defunct New Jersey military base is a major step closer to becoming a new home for Netflix. The streaming giant just got a key approval from the state to build a massive production studio complex at the former Fort Monmouth Army base in Ocean County. The required zoning to build the more than $900 million studio got the green light from the Fort Monmouth Economic Revitalization Authority Board. The plans can now go on for approval from other local boards. The sprawling complex is expected to include 12 sound stages on a little over 290 acres of land all along Route 35 in Eatontown and Oceanport. And it's being touted as a big job creator. Thousands of construction and production jobs are anticipated. There are concerns, though, about the environmental impact of the construction. Local planning boards are evaluating that according to recent meetings about the project. On Wall Street, stocks took a breather today after a record-setting week. Here's how the markets closed. And that does it for us tonight, but make sure you tune in tomorrow afternoon for a special edition of NJ Spotlight News covering the governor's annual budget address. I'll be live with a panel and team of reporters breaking down the proposal for how to spend your tax dollars. Our coverage begins tomorrow at 2 p.m. on NJPBS and streaming on our digital sites. I'm Brianna Venozzi for the entire NJ Spotlight News team. Thanks for being with us. Have a great evening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. New Jersey Education Association, making public schools great for every child. And RWJ Barnabas Health, let's be healthy together. NJM Insurance Group has been part of New Jersey for over a century. We support our communities through NJM's corporate giving program, supporting arts and culture related and nonprofit organizations that serve to improve the lives of children, rebuild communities, and help to create a new generation of safe drivers. We're proud to be part of New Jersey. NJM, we've got New Jersey covered. I'm very grateful that I'm still here. That's me and my daughter when we went to celebrate our first anniversary. With a new kidney, I have strength. They gave me a new lease on life. I'm still going everywhere and exploring new places. Nobody thought I was going to be here. Nobody. And I look forward to getting older with my wife. That's possible now. We're transforming lives through innovative kidney treatments, living donor programs, and world-renowned care at two of New Jersey's premier hospitals. They gave me my normal life back. It's a blessing. RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together.